Our text this afternoon is taken from Colossians chapter 1, the verses 15 through 23, and so we'll read together. Colossians 1, we'll begin at verse 1, and we'll read to verse 23. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epiphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And now here begins our text for this afternoon. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So far, the reading of God's Word. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, are you concerned at all about the future? Those of us who are a bit older in our midst might wonder what the lives of their children and their grandchildren will look like. And for those of us who are a little bit younger, we might wonder what the next 20 or 10 or even 5 years might bring for us. Will our children still have 
freedom to attend our Christian schools? Will we still have freedom to worship in this building as we do today? Or will this rapid wave of secularization also sweep these freedoms away from us? We might also ask what the government of our country will look like. Will we even live in a democracy? Or will these powers become even more oppressive? Will foreign nations even gain power over us? No matter where we look, these rulers of the world, they seem to be against us. And we know that the Colossians also struggled to find security in what they also believed to be a very uncertain universe. And so what the Colossians did was they turned to various spiritual powers, special prayers, special incantations, which they directed to angels and to other spirits as well. And so what Paul writes to the Colossians and what the Spirit also declares to us this afternoon is that these powers which we see all around us, the powers which are so set against us, they're really nothing to be feared when compared to the greatness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, He is supreme. He is preeminent. The Colossians, they need to look no further than to Jesus Christ to find security in their uncertain world. And also we, when we see the powers of the world turning against us, we only need to be reminded of Christ's supremacy over these powers, of His preeminence in every area of life. A preeminence which existed already before creation and which will also continue into all eternity. And so I proclaim to you God's word this afternoon under the following theme, in all things Christ is preeminent. We'll see three things, Christ's preeminence in creation, preeminent in recreation, and finally preeminent in you. So first of all, preeminent in creation. As we saw prior to our text, Paul and Timothy, they've expressed thanksgiving to the Father for the faith in Jesus Christ which the Colossian believers have shown, and they've encouraged the Colossians to continue in that faith, knowing that God has delivered them from the domain of darkness and has transferred them into the kingdom of His beloved Son, where there is that redemption, that forgiveness, as we saw also last week. And now in our text this afternoon, Paul expands on the glory of our Lord and Savior. The verses 15 to 20, he bursts into song. He praises the preeminence of the beloved Son of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in doing so, he gives the Colossians, and he also gives us every reason to stand firm in our faith and to continue in that walk of faith which we've begun on. And so as we turn to our text, we can see that Paul praises Jesus Christ as none other than the image of the very invisible God. And when we hear this, it might at first sound like a bit of a contradiction. How can the visible Jesus Christ be the image of the invisible God? God who's a spirit, God whom no one has ever seen. But as we know from Scripture, there really is no contradiction presented John 14, verse 9, Jesus himself tells his disciples that whoever has seen him has indeed seen the Father. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the man of Jesus Christ. And so we can also say with 
Hebrews 1 verse 3 that Jesus Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. God has truly manifest himself among us in the person of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. And as our text also tells us, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of all creation. And also when we hear this word firstborn, we might be tempted to think that Jesus had a beginning, that he too was created at some point in time, just as the rest of the world was created. But once again, we know from Scripture that this is simply not the case. If we think of John 1 verse 1, we read there that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God, he was simply there with God in the beginning. He himself was God. He was never created at any point in time. And so in our text, when we see this word firstborn, we have to think more of the special status or the special rank which Jesus Christ has over all of creation. Similar language is used of King David in Psalm 89, verse 27, where God says of David, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. In this verse, we know that God calls David the firstborn not because he literally was born first. We know that, as a matter of fact, he was born last in his family. But God calls David the firstborn because David was the highest, the most important king on the earth. And so he earns the title of firstborn. And so in the same way, Jesus Christ, when we hear he's the firstborn of creation, we know that this means he is supreme over that creation. He's preeminent in creation. We see this as we move on into verse 16 of our text. We know that Jesus Christ was not created, but we read there that all things were created through or by Jesus Christ. And also notice the totality of Jesus' creating work. It says there, whether things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, there's nothing that exists in this world, in this universe, whether we can see it or even when we cannot see it, which was not created by Jesus Christ. And then our attention is turned specifically to those four words in verse 16, to those thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And when we hear terms like this, we often think of powers which we can put a face to. We might think of the authorities in government in our own country, or we might think of rulers of foreign nations, whether in Asia, the Middle East, or perhaps China as well. We might think of these powers who are gaining control in the world all around us. But in verse 16, when we see these terms, what's really in focus here are these spiritual powers, the forces behind the rulers and authorities which we see all around us, the forces which ultimately animate our secular culture, the forces which are opposed to anything which, are, which is Christian. And so it's these sort of spiritual forces which the Colossians were concerned about. They were afraid of this spiritual realm, and so they were turning to magic, they were turning to ritual to protect themselves. 
But in our text, Paul reminds them that these powers are nothing to fear because as we've seen, Jesus Christ is their creator. Jesus Christ, he's preeminent over all creation. And so he also has power. He has authority over these thrones, over these dominions. And the same is also true for us as well, brothers and sisters. And if we think about it for a moment, there's really only two spiritual powers in this world. There's the power of God. There's the power of Jesus Christ. The power of the kingdom of light. And then, of course, there's the power of darkness, the power of Satan and his horde. And while this power of Satan at times might appear strong to us and give us reason to fear, this power of Satan, it's really incomparable to the power of the preeminent Jesus Christ. Satan is nothing more than a finite, a created creature. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, as we've seen, he is almighty God. He's supreme over Satan. He's supreme over the powers of darkness. As we read further on in Colossians, Colossians 2 verse 15, it says there that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ and in the power of his cross. And so while the future may at times look grim to us, and these powers of the world, they might seem threatening to us, we know that nothing in this life, whether rulers, whether authorities, can separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus, as we read in Romans chapter 8. Satan's threat of death, it really holds no sway over us because through faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life because of the death and the resurrection of, our beloved, of the beloved Son of God. And as we go on into the end of verse 16, together with verse 17, we see this reaffirmed once again. Christ, he's preeminent over creation because all things were created through him and he is before all things. These verses, they also give us some new reasons to magnify Jesus Christ. They say that all things were also created for him and that all things hold together in him. And so not only is Jesus Christ the, the agent of creation, the one through whom all things were created, he's also the very purpose of that creation. Everything was created for him. It was created for his glory, for his purposes. It was created to be under his authority. And on top of this, we also learn that Jesus Christ, he's also continuing to ensure that all things in the universe hold together, that all things function as they should, as we expect them to. When we think of our world and when we think of the universe which we inhabit, this is not simply some sort of special watch which God through Christ created and then left to tick away on its own for many thousands of years. Jesus Christ created this universe, he's intimately involved in its every action and every purpose as well. He controls the rising of the sun in its setting. He controls the wind that blows from here to there. And he's actively enabling 
every single breath which you and I take also now. And it's these great cosmic truths of the preeminence of Jesus Christ in all the universe, which is also true of his involvement with the church, which is his own body, as we see in the verse 18. The church of Jesus Christ was also created through him and for him. The church exists to bring glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And yet when we think of the church, there's a bit of a contrast to the rest of the created universe. The church also exists in close and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ because Christ is the head of his body. Christ is the head of us, his church. And as its head, Christ Jesus, he governs this body as well. He provides the church with whatever it needs to live in fellowship with him and also to live in fellowship with one another. We can think of Ephesians chapter 4, the verses 15 and 16. We read these words, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So just as all things are held together by Christ in the universe, so also only in Christ is the church held together. Only in Jesus Christ can we grow together in love, since Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And as members of the church of Christ, it's important to remember that this church was also created for Christ. It was created for his glory. Jesus Christ, he is the head of the church, not the minister, not the elders. The church is a place where Jesus Christ is to be glorified, where his body is to be built up. It is not the place where we can bring in our own wise opinions and seek to elevate ourselves at the expense of the other members. It's because we know that as soon as we forget who our head is, as soon as we forget Jesus Christ as the head of this body, the church, that's when sin begins to find its way into the church. We know that when Adam and Eve were tempted by the devil, they desired the glory of themselves over and above the glory of God. They forgot their head. They forgot that they were created both by Jesus Christ and for his glory. And so they gave in to their desires to be their own head. And as a result, sin entered the world and corruption spread to all mankind. And yet despite this sinfulness which entered Jesus Christ, he remains preeminent. And as we'll see in our second point, Jesus Christ, he showed this preeminence not only in creation, but also in recreation. This recreation that was necessary because of our sins which entered this world. So as we read in the second half of verse 18, we see that Jesus Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so just as Jesus Christ was 
the firstborn over all creation at the beginning of the world. So now once again, our text is telling us that Jesus Christ, he is the beginning, the firstborn this time of the new creation, since he was the firstborn from the dead. And as we know, Jesus Christ, in whom all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, he came to earth. He took on a human body. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He died. He was buried. He descended into hell. And then on the third day, he arose again. And it's through his death and through his resurrection that Jesus Christ defeated the last enemy. He defeated death. And on top of defeating death, he also brings us new life. Through the blood of the cross, he reconciled all things to God. He restored the relationship between God and between the creation which God had made. He restored these things so that we might once again live in peace with him. And it's through this wondrous work of reconciliation, this work of recreation, which we can again see the great preeminence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, also in our own recreation. But if you look again at verse 20, we recognize that this verse isn't only speaking about us, brothers and sisters. It isn't only speaking about Jesus making reconciliation for us. Verse 20, it says, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven. And we know that when sin entered the world, it wasn't only mankind that suffered. Ultimately, all of creation was subjected to futility. This is what we read in Romans chapter 8. There we saw in verses 21 and 22 that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and it waits to be set free from this bondage to corruption. And we know well this corruption in our everyday lives, brothers and sisters, this corruption which produces the, the weeds in our gardens the bad weather for our crops, this corruption which causes us to fear the wild animals which are around us. It's the corruption which brings earthquakes, which brings tsunamis and hailstorms which can rock our world. And even mankind himself can be a blight on this earth, polluting the air, abusing the creation which God has made, even over-exploiting the resources of this earth. And yet it's this corruption which the preeminent Jesus Christ, through his resurrection from the dead, reconciles to God and restores to peace and order. It's this corruption which Jesus Christ, he will do away with completely in his work of recreation. The day will come as we hear in Isaiah chapter 11 that the wolf will dwell together with the lamb. The little child shall lead the calf and the lion together, and the nursing children will even play over top of the hole of the cobra. In all the earth there will be no hurt and no destruction, since the earth it will be completely full of the knowledge of God. And this glorious future image of the new creation, it also affects the work which we do in the here and now today as well. We battle the curse 
Every day of our lives, brothers and sisters, we often work hard against the damage which sin has brought into the world. And yet, when we do this, we are also bringing glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Since what we are doing is reflecting the work of recreation, which He Himself will fully and finally do on the day He returns. And so as Christians, we work hard to bring healing to the sick, to care for those in need. We work hard to raise our children, to show them the sin which is in their hearts and to point them to our Savior, Jesus Christ. We use the ingenuity, the wisdom which God has given us to build better homes, to improve methods and techniques which we might use in the classroom or in the office or on the job site. And when we do all these things, when we fight against the damage which the curse has brought, ultimately we're reflecting the work of Jesus Christ in this world as well. The work that we do, it points to the glory and the preeminence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the work of recreation which He is doing and which those around us can see reflected in the work which we do as well. And as we work so hard against the curse in this life, we can also be assured of the glorious future inheritance which will be ours on the day of Jesus Christ. That glorious future when there will be no more sickness, when there will be no more pain, no more death. A future where all creation will be reconciled to God, where peace will abound, where sin and the curse will be no more. A future in which the ground, it will no longer produce those thorns and thistles, where the destruction from earthquakes, from hailstorms will cease, and where wild animals will no longer be a threat even to the youngest among us. This world in which mankind will once again properly care for the creation which God has given to us. And we can look forward to the hope of this glorious future because of the work of reconciliation which God, through Jesus Christ, is also working in us. So far, we have seen the preeminence of Jesus Christ in creation. We've seen the preeminence of Jesus Christ also in his work of recreation. And now in our text, as we come to verse 21, we can also see the preeminence of Christ in our own lives. We can see the preeminence of Christ in you and in me. And so the Spirit of God, He takes these glorious truths of the preeminence of Jesus Christ, He makes it personal, He applies it directly to the lives of the Colossian believers in our text. He says in verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death. And so for the Colossians, before the work of Jesus Christ in their lives, they were hostile to God, and they showed this hostility in the evil deeds which they were doing. And we also know, brothers and sisters, that in our own lives, apart from this work of Jesus Christ, this would be our natural condition as well. By nature, we are hostile toward God. By nature, we show 
this hostility also in the deeds which we do. And we know this because we can still see the effects of this evil nature in our own lives. We fight against our sin day after day, and yet the sin can sometimes gain the upper hand over us. There may be times in your life of devotion where you've meditated on a passage of Scripture which encourages you to resist a certain sin and to instead pursue self-control. But then immediately after meditating on this passage, you you go out, you commit that sin, showing no self-control at all. And how frustrating it can be, brothers and sisters, to work with the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take it into our hearts, and yet continue to struggle and fight against sin. This sin, it can introduce doubt into our minds so easily, doubt as to whether or not we're really a child of God, doubt as to whether the Spirit of God is really at work in us, doubt as to whether we'll ever be able to resist that sin which is so troubling in our lives. And yet, brothers and sisters, it's through the reconciling work of Jesus Christ that this doubt really has no place in our lives. As we know from our text, Jesus Christ, in the body of his flesh, by his death, he has reconciled us to God. He's made peace by the blood of his cross. He lived that perfect life which God requires of us, and thus he was able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And so on the day of Jesus Christ, on that day of judgment, when we stand before the throne of God, beside God, we'll also see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our Advocate. And He will declare to His Heavenly Father that for the sake of His blood, the blood which He shed on His cross, we are holy, we are blameless, and we are above reproach. And it's this great reconciliation which Jesus Christ has worked in our lives, which is ours, if, as verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith. As we know, brothers and sisters, this is not something that automatically happens to everybody. Christ's reconciling work, it's specifically for those who have faith in Jesus Christ It's for those who continue in their faith throughout their life. And this really is the serious call of the gospel this afternoon as well. We know that faith is a gift from our Heavenly Father. Yet at the same time, He calls us to take hold of that faith, to continue in that faith, to persevere in our faith to the very end. And you might ask, well, how are we to do this? Well, our text, it gives us a couple directions for how we are to do this. It says that, first of all, we are to be stable, steadfast. And when you build a house, it's, of course, important to start with a firm foundation. And so also, when we think of our life of faith, we need to build that life of faith on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. The firm foundation of Jesus Christ, whom we confessed once again this afternoon that He is the Son of God, sent into the world to save sinners. 
It's this foundation which we build our faith upon. And having built on this foundation, our text also calls us to not shift from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. And as we've seen in our passage, and as we've also seen in our, the rest of the Bible as well, Jesus Christ is preeminent. We've seen his supremacy over all the powers in the world. We've seen his wonderful work of reconciliation in the world and in our lives as well. And so when we see the preeminence of Jesus Christ, we have every reason to glory in him as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Every reason to joyfully hold on to this gospel message in faith, which has been proclaimed to us. And so this afternoon, you can ask yourself the question, is Jesus Christ preeminent in my life? Or perhaps a better way to ask this question would be, do I acknowledge the preeminence of Jesus Christ in my life? Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all creation. And one day, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, brothers and sisters, let us be among those who are joyful at his appearing, those who gladly bend the knee to our preeminent Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has worked this great reconciliation in creation and in our own lives as well. And as we come to the very final words of our text, we're once again reminded of the grace of God, which is at work in us as well. Just as faith is a gift of the grace of God, so also our continuing in that faith is only by the grace of God. Paul himself, he became a minister of the gospel, as the end of our text says, not because he wanted to, not because it was his will. He, after all, was hostile in his mind. He was doing evil deeds against the church of Jesus Christ. But God showed his great grace to Paul. Jesus demonstrated his preeminence and gave him that gift of faith and also the strength to continue in that faith. And it's the same God who gives us faith and who will graciously also give us the strength to continue in our faith, to persevere in that faith to the very end. When we look to the future, there may indeed be many things that concern us. There may be powers in the world which we see rising up against us and we get concerned about, we get afraid from. But when we look to the future, we also can clearly see our preeminent Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who has disarmed all the rulers, all the authorities, all the powers of this world, the one who by his death and resurrection has reconciled us to God, also the one who has prepared for us that eternal inheritance in the new heavens and the new earth, an inheritance which will never spoil, never fade away. Praise be to our great, our preeminent Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.